Well, good morning again. Take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, we're going to look today at verses 13 through 35. Please follow along as I read God's word this morning. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? and to enter into his glory. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he was going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Father, we ask for your help now as we come to your word. Lord, I pray that I would be a faithful messenger. Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Paul wrote an epistle to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. Familiar words to you. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 
and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Well, a week ago, on Friday night, we had a good Friday service here at Hope Bible Church. I was not here. I was officiating a wedding in Jacksonville, Florida, of a former Navy basketball player and his wife, a former Navy ice hockey player. They scheduled their wedding for Easter weekend during the Final Four. (laughs) Former basketball player, uh, March Madness. I love you, Bryce and Liz, if you're listening. Well, Good Friday is definitely good. It is good because Christ's death was in our place and in our stead. We believe that Christ really did atone for our sins. But Friday would not be good if Jesus had not risen from the dead. It would just be another ordinary Friday. Paul says later in this same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 19, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. H.D.A. Major, the former principal of Ripon Hall, Oxford, writes this, had the crucifixion of Jesus ended the disciples' experience of him, it is hard to see how the Christian church could have come into existence. That church was founded on faith in the messiahship of Jesus. A crucified messiah was no messiah at all. He was one rejected by Judaism and accursed of God. It was the resurrection of Jesus, as St. Paul declares in Romans 1.4, which proclaimed him to be the Son of God with power. Church historian Kenneth Scott Latourette writes this, It was the conviction of the resurrection of Jesus which lifted his followers out of the despair into which his death had cast them and which led to the perpetuation of the movement begun by him. But for their profound belief that the crucified had risen from the dead and they had seen him and talked with him, the death of Jesus and even Jesus himself would probably have been all but forgotten. Throughout history, the testimony of responsible and honest witnesses, eyewitnesses, has been considered one of the most reliable forms of evidence in a court of law. Lawyer Sir Edward Clark once said this, As a lawyer, I have made a prolonged study of the evidences for the events of the first Easter day. For me, the evidence is conclusive. And over and over again in the high court, I have secured the verdict on evidence not nearly so compelling. Inference follows on evidence, and a truthful witness is always artless and disdains effect. The gospel evidence for the resurrection is of this class, and as a lawyer, I accept it unreservedly, 
as the testimony of truthful men to fact they were able to substantiate. One more. Historian Thomas Arnold of Oxford has written this. The evidence for our Lord's life and death and resurrection may be and often has been shown to be satisfactory. It is good according to the common rules for distinguishing good evidence from bad. Thousands and tens of thousands of persons have gone through it piece by piece as carefully as every judge summing up on an important case. I have myself done it many times over, not to persuade others, but to satisfy myself. I have been used for many years to study the history of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is better proved by fuller evidence than the great sign that God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Well, Paul tells us in that great chapter that the resurrected Christ appeared to Peter, to the 12 minus Judas Iscariot, to 500 brethren at one time, and to all of the apostles and to even the apostle Paul, all over a 40-day period. And two men who were part of this group that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection from the dead are found here in Luke 24. The two disciples that Jesus met on the road to Emmaus. One is named Cleopas and the other is unnamed. And today we want to look at seven events that took place on the day that Jesus rose from the dead that led these two men to go from remorse to rejoicing. Seven events that took place on the day that Christ rose from the dead that caused these two men to go from remorse to rejoicing. The first event we see is the conversation about the crucified Messiah. And I have Messiah here in quotations. Look back again in verses 13 and 14. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. Luke tells us about two men here, one who is named Cleopas, the other whose name is not given, who were traveling to a village called Emmaus. Uh, it's a place mentioned only here in the New Testament. It, it is a village that we know really nothing about. This is what we do know. These two men were talking about all that had taken place over the last three days, most likely including the arrest and trials of Jesus, the crucifixion, his burial, the report from the women that the tomb was empty, and this report that Jesus was alive. In verse 15, it says they were talking and discussing. These two men were having a conversation about all that had taken place, and they were conversing about this crucified Messiah. And I say Messiah in quotations because at this point, they are not convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, but at least they are having a conversation. And friends, there is much conversation taking place today about Jesus Christ. Who was Jesus? Did Jesus really live? And what did Jesus really do? Millions of people are watching a series called The Chosen right now, which I think is really well done. I highly recommend it to you. You watch it through the Chosen app or through their Facebook or YouTube page. And my exhortation to you would be this. Join the conversation. 
in talking about Jesus, as people have questions and opinions. Do that at work, whether that's at the water cooler or the virtual water cooler. Do that at school and in your neighborhood. Take time to listen and don't be ashamed to speak. Friends, you and I have the truth and it is the truth that sets people free. Amen. And the truth is this. Jesus really came. He really lived a perfect life. He really died a sacrificial and atoning death. He really rose from the dead and he really lives today and he is coming back again. The second event we see here is the confrontation with the living Messiah. And that is found here in verse 15. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. Well, Jesus obviously has indeed been raised from the dead by this time. I believe that Jesus was omniscient, that he was all-knowing before his death, and he is omniscient after he is raised from the dead. He is aware that these two men are having this conversation, that they have questions, that they have concerns. And I believe that Jesus knows here that God the Father is drawing these two men to himself and bringing them to the place where they will acknowledge that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, that he is the king, that he is the hope of salvation. And so he approaches them and begins to travel with them. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Several years ago, I think it was in 2008, I was living in Indiana and I had the incredible uh, privilege of getting to fly in an airplane with Coach Tony Dungy. We went from Indianapolis to Springfield, Illinois for a banquet. There were about eight of us on the plane and, and then because of bad weather, thanks to the sovereignty of Almighty God, I got to ride home with him in a car in the back seat And it was just me and him to talk for three hours. It was amazing. Then I had him call my dad. That was awesome. But I cannot imagine what it would have been like to get to walk and talk with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They were with the Messiah, the living God who had just risen from the dead. There was just one thing that dampened this experience for a portion of the time And we see that in verse 16, it says, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. I think their eyes were prevented by the Lord himself. Luke does not tell us how this was accomplished. The Lord will reveal himself to them, but not yet. And in verse 17, he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. Jesus knew what they were talking about. We read in John chapter 2 that Jesus knew all men. In Luke 7, we see that Jesus knew what Simon the Pharisee was thinking, even though Simon didn't utter a word out loud. In Luke 19, we see that Jesus does not get super excited about all the fanfare that accompanied him as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to the cries of Hosanna, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. For he knew in just five days that some of those same people would be shouting, crucify, crucify. Look at verse 18. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? 
and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? I've never seen this conversation portrayed in any of the films on the life of Jesus that I've watched, Jesus of Nazareth or King of Kings. It hasn't shown up yet in The Chosen. Sean and I like to talk about this. We're not sure if there's things like this recorded on some kind of device that we can watch in heaven. You know, I I just hope there's movie nights, you know. And uh, I mean, we have the time, right? We have the time. But I don't know how Jesus could have listened to this question without breaking out in laughter. He could have buried these guys and said, the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things that happened in these days? Jesus could have said, I was mocked, I was beaten, I was scourged, I was crucified, I was buried, I have risen from the dead. I know, what, I know more about what has happened in these days than you will ever know. So in verses 19 to 20, I think, trying not to laugh, we read this. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. They did not know that they were in the presence of Christ himself. But they did recognize that Jesus was a prophet, one mighty indeed and word in the sight of God. God was seeking these two men, and in turn, they are now seeking after him. The Lord knows their hearts, and he gives them this incredible opportunity to confront the living Messiah face to face. You may say this morning, Kirby, I have never seen the resurrected Christ. I have never been confronted by the living Messiah. I would say to you, friend, if you had never attended church before today, if you had never opened the word of God before this Sunday, if you had never heard the word of God preached, that may have been true of you. But that is true no longer. For we have all been confronted by the living Christ. For we read in the gospel of John that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us. Jesus is the word. And you and I have been confronted by his holy word this morning, and so we are without excuse. Thirdly, the third event we see here is confusion over Jesus the Messiah. Look at verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. These two men, though we know virtually nothing about them except one of their names. They were Jews, for they say in verse 20, how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death. We also know they were Jews because they were looking forward to the coming kingdom when Messiah would reign and rule from the throne of David. These two disciples were much like the 12, for when Jesus was ascending back to the Father in heaven, 40 days after his resurrection, they said to him, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? These men were familiar with the Old Testament prophets. They were looking forward to the coming of the kingdom, just as we are doing today. But they were confused about the Messiah. 
they thought that Messiah would rule and reign and not be crucified on a cruel cross at the hands of the Romans. There was confusion, but there also was a glimmer of hope. Look at verses 22 and 23. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Can you go back to chapter 23, beginning in verse 54, and then I'll read into chapter 24 to verse 10. Luke 23, verse 54, it was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. In verse 24 of chapter 24, we read that some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. This was a reference to Peter and John. You can see this in John chapter 20, verse 4. Here, Luke only includes Peter. In verse 12 of chapter 24, but Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. These two disciples on the road to Emmaus were confused. Was Jesus truly the Messiah? Had he really risen from the dead? Even though there's much conversation today about Jesus, there is also much confusion about him today. Some would say that Jesus never lived. Those who have any sense at all and acknowledge that he indeed did live and walk this earth see him only as a prophet or a good teacher, but not the Messiah and not the Son of God. But God has called us, beloved, those of us who have believed in his name, who have been forgiven of our sins and have been granted everlasting life to clear up the confusion by declaring the word of God and boldly proclaiming that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one, no man, no woman comes to the Father except through him. The fourth event we see here is clarification from the teaching Messiah clarification from the teaching Messiah, verses 25 and 26. 
And he said to them, O foolish man and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Before Jesus brings clarification, he rebukes these two men. They were Jews. They knew that Messiah would come. They knew that Messiah would establish his kingdom on the earth. But they had forgotten that the Messiah would have to suffer before he entered his glory. They had forgotten that before the crown comes a cross. They had forgotten that before exaltation comes humiliation. They forgot what Isaiah the prophet had written 700 years before this event. Isaiah 53, 4 to 5. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. Isaiah 53.10, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Jesus rebuked them here for their unbelief, for their failure to understand that this was prophesied long before. But his rebuke of them is short. Because our Lord is gracious, he is compassionate, and he is loving. And he is about to do the most loving thing for them that he could do. Jesus is going to clear up their confusion. Verse 27, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. That is a verse. In my library, I have the complete sermons of Martin Luther. I have a copy of the Metropolitan Tabernacle Pulpit, which are the messages and sermons of Charles Spurgeon. I have a copy of Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God from Jonathan Edwards. I love to listen to to sermons by R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, Alistair Begg. But this is the sermon I want to listen to. What a privilege for these two men to hear Jesus explain the Old Testament scriptures and how Moses and the prophets pointed to the coming Messiah, which was Jesus himself, the one now walking with them to this village in Emmaus. Verse 27 says, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. The New American Standard translates this, explained the ESV, interpreted, The King James, the New King James, expounded. Friends, Jesus here exposited the word of God. He explained the things concerning himself, the Messiah, in all the Old Testament. Amazing. Beloved, Jesus was an expository preacher. So if you don't like the preaching style here at Hope Bible Church, if you think our pastors move too slowly through books of the Bible, Just remember, we're just trying to be like Jesus, okay? (laughs) Jesus explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. We need a mathematician for this. I am not one. 
but let's assume that Jesus was with them for the entire seven miles, that length of journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And let's assume that they walked at a pace of two miles an hour. We see that they stopped here and talked for a while. We're looking here at a sermon that was over three hours long. And Desmond thinks my sermons are too long. In the infinite wisdom of God, the the Lord does not give us the content of this sermon. But if Jesus was explaining the things concerning himself in all of the Old Testament, he probably would have spent time in at least these Old Testament books. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to give all the specific references, but he would have spent time in the law in Genesis, Exodus, Numbers and Deuteronomy in history, second Samuel in the books of poetry, in the book of Psalms. The major prophets of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And the minor prophets of Micah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. William Hendrickson, a fine Bible commentator, says, The Old Testament picture of the Messiah is not confined to a number of specific passages. There are, as it were, four lines which, running through the Old Testament from beginning to end, converge at Bethlehem and Calvary. The historical typological, psychological, and prophetical. It is reasonable to believe that our Lord, in interpreting in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, showed how the entire Old Testament in various ways pointed to himself. Jesus brought clarification to these two disciples, the very thing that they needed the most. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are called to bring clarification. We have the inerrant and authoritative word of God. We have the indwelling spirit of God, and we have the ability to explain the scriptures to others. The fifth event that we see here is communion with the compassionate Messiah. Communion with the compassionate Messiah. Verse 28 as they approached the village when, where they were going and he, as they, I'm sorry, and they approached the village where they were going and he acted as though he were, were going farther. We see something very similar to this in the gospel of Mark and Mark 6 verses 47 to 48. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land, seeing them straining at the oars for the wind was against them. At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. The verb here in Luke 24, 28, prospoeo, means to attach to or to pretend. Jesus pretended like he was going to go further and pass through this village called Emmaus. But Jesus was God incarnate, and he was omniscient. And he knew that they were about to invite him to stay with them. I love the word of God. Love this. And so we read in verse 29 that they urged him saying, stay with us for it is getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and breaking it, he began giving it to them. How would you have liked to have been a part of this communion service? breaking bread with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is so gracious. He has just died for the sins of the world. He became sin for us. 
He was forsaken by the Father that we might be made righteous. He has now secured the salvation of everyone who would ever believe in him. It is finished. To Tetelestai, it's all done. But Jesus is not finished here. He is not ready to yet go back to the Father. And so he appears to these two men. He chooses to spend time with them that they might know that Jesus is more than a prophet, that he is truly the Messiah, that once he was dead, but now he was very much alive. Oh, the loving kindness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe with all my heart that God is sovereign, that he is in control of all things, that he is sovereign over history, that he is sovereign over salvation. But that same God is also gracious and compassionate full of grace, rich in mercy, and abounding in loving kindness. And he offers forgiveness. He offers salvation to everyone who believes in him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The sixth event we see here is conviction over the message of the Messiah. Conviction over the message of of the Messiah. Look at verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. The same God who prevented them from recognizing Jesus is the God who is now allowing them to see who this really is. This is Jesus the Messiah. This is God in the flesh. This is the risen King. And so as quickly as he reveals himself, we read these words and he vanished from their sight. Many of you carry the MacArthur Study Bible and I thought the note on this verse was especially helpful. MacArthur says his resurrection body, though real and tangible and even capable of digesting earthly food, nonetheless possessed certain properties that indicate it was glorified, altered in a mysterious way. Christ could appear and disappear bodily as seen in this text. His body could pass through solid objects such as the grave clothes or the walls and doors of a closed room. He could apparently travel great distances in a moment for by the time these disciples returned to Jerusalem, Christ had already appeared to Peter. The fact that he ascended into heaven bodily demonstrated that his resurrection body was already fit for heaven. Yet it was his body the same one that was missing from the tomb, even retaining identifying features such as the nail wounds. He was no ghost or phantom. After he vanishes, verse 32, they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? These two disciples were under great conviction when they heard Jesus explain the word of God to them. They were cut to the quick. They were pierced in the heart. They knew and now understood that the Old Testament writers were writing about this man. They were convinced and persuaded that this Jesus was the Messiah. Are you convicted of your sin? Are you convinced that Jesus is the Messiah? Do you understand that salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone? Oh, friend, do not harden your heart. 
you are not guaranteed tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. The seventh and final event here is the confession from the two disciples about the risen Messiah. Confession from the two disciples about the risen Messiah. Look at verses 33 through 35. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. This is good stuff. Quick reminder, this is 30 AD. This is the first century. Henry Ford has not yet been born. They don't have a car to drive back to Jerusalem. They probably didn't have a tandem bike. They had just walked seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And after their eyes were opened and seeing that the man in their midst was Jesus of Nazareth and being convinced that he indeed was the Messiah and that he had truly risen from the dead, they weren't waiting until morning to go back and tell the disciples that they had seen the risen Lord. Verse 33 says they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. Well, the text does not tell us what time of day these men headed back to the holy city, but I think we can guarantee this. Their return trip to Jerusalem took less time than their trip to Emmaus. These men were excited. They had just been with Jesus. William Hendrickson again says this, so filled are these two men with joy that they must needs tell others. Have they already walked seven miles? Then seven more miles. Was it dark and dangerous? All of that means nothing now. The news is so electrifying and reassuring that the other disciples must know about it. Not tomorrow, but tonight. Beloved, this is what the disciple of Jesus Christ does. He confesses with his mouth. Not out of obligation, but out of the abundant joy that fills his heart. In Acts chapter 4, we see there that Peter and John are commanded by the Sanhedrin not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But we read in Acts 4, 19 to 20, but Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. That was the attitude of these two disciples here in Luke 24. Nothing was going to shut them up. They had seen Jesus, the Lamb of God, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. They were headed back to Jerusalem. Again, let's read those verses 33 to 35. They got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. I don't know if you saw this, but before they had referred to Jesus as a prophet. Now they refer to him as their, as his, their Lord. He is their Lord. And you know what they're doing here as they return to Jerusalem? They are sharing their testimony. 
of how they met the living Christ, how they were convinced that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, how they turned from their sins and trusted in Christ for their salvation. When is the last time you took some moments to share your faith, your testimony with someone else? When is the last time you told someone how you came to know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Friend, the disciple of Christ confesses him with his mouth and he cannot be silenced. I would just say in conclusion, do not underestimate the power of your Christian testimony. Have you written it out? Can you give it to someone in five minutes, in 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever time is allowed? I think we should all be ready to share our testimony, our salvation, how the Lord saved us at a moment's notice. Many years ago, when I was first coming on staff with FCA in Illinois, we were in Kansas City and um, we were at an all staff conference and uh, this guy got up to give his testimony. His name was Dan Mears. And if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan, he's he's Casey the Wolf. That's their mascot. Not really sure why they're the Chiefs. But anyway, he's their mascot. And he got up to give his testimony, um, not in his gear, but, you know, as as a regular human person. And I was sitting by my friend Charles, who knew Dan really well. And he said, Kirby, watch this. He's going to start crying. He said, I've heard him give his testimony many, many times. And every time he does, he weeps because he's reminded of how the Lord saved him. And in Philemon verse 6, and this is from the NIV classic, 1984, not the new NIV, but the old one. It says this, I pray that you may be, that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Friends, be strong and courageous. Be emboldened by the power of the resurrected Christ living in you to share your faith and be reminded of every good thing you have in Christ for the glory of Almighty God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, we are so grateful to have these recorded words for us here in the Gospel of Luke. How incredible for these two men to encounter the risen Savior, Jesus himself. To have this conversation, to hear Jesus explain the Old Testament and how all the scriptures pointed to him, to the Messiah. Lord, we thank you that you did something for them that they could not do for themselves. You opened their hearts and their minds and their eyes to you. You gave them eyes to see that you indeed are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Lord, you have done the same for us. We were once dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses, subject to the evil rule of Satan. We were by nature children of wrath. And Lord, there was nothing we could do to change our dreadful and depraved condition. But God, because you are rich in mercy, because of your great love with which you loved us, you have made us alive together in Christ. By grace, we have been saved. Lord, you have saved us. You have given us a testimony of of your grace, of your mercy, of your loving kindness. And so as your people who trust in you, may we be messengers. May we be like these two men who 
went back to Jerusalem and proclaimed all these things that had taken place. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that has never trusted in you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they would come to you. Lord, be gracious to them. Grant them repentance of their sin. Give them faith to believe in your son that they might be saved. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.